0: We help you discover your many layers. You peel, your car you wake up, refresh eyes. Question life, question humanity, question society, but most of all, question yourself. So I was on um Amplified Opera's website and there is a section on holding space. Mm-hmm. Which uh, is really interesting. And before before we go into that section, can you can you also just you know explain what's Amplified Opera? How did you start it co-founded?
1: Yeah, definitely. Amplified Opera is a company that centers equity-seeking artists to enhance public discourse, to really be able to have multiple, um, contrasting, and challenging conversations and discussions, um, and to do that through through the operatic medium. Um, so it first started out as a conversation between um, my dear friend and colleague Aria Umezawa. We were having. Mm, about three years ago and I was I was talking about how frustrating it was for me that it's like okay do I have to wear a dress to this audition again or can I wear a suit but then well maybe should I wear the two-inch heel or the four-inch heel should I cut my hair off I really want to cut my hair off or should I keep it long it's this constant struggle in terms of like how I present my gender how I present myself um For these auditions, because I was taught make it as easy as possible for people to hire you, for these casting directors to hire you, so they can see you as the role in the audition, or as. But that that really limited like me in terms of being able to express who I am and to be able to take on a character or to to show my artistry, because it there was a there's a very limited view of femininity in opera, especially when you're a soprano and singing basically only like female identified characters. Um, So Aria said to me in a very kind and honest way, I hate to break it to you, Taya, but you're not getting hired anyway. So just wear whatever you want, be whoever you wanna be and see what happens. So that really hit me. And I was like, you know what, you're right. It, It was about time that I, Stopped struggling and trying to be the soprano that the industry wanted me to be, and to be the soprano that was really honoring me and honoring Taya inside of inside of the skin, right? So um, with that, I actually started writing Queen in Me, and um, in Toronto you have to apply as a collective to get grant funding. So we used the name Amplified Opera, which was from another colleague of hers from San Francisco Opera. Um, As the kind of body that would house and help produce and develop this work, the Queen and Me, and we want a grant. So then we're like, okay, I guess we have to do something. And Ari at the time was living in San Francisco doing um, this really big fellowship with the Opera Company, and now she had moved back to Toronto. And our first public kind of presentation was in October of 2019. We presented um, a three-part concert series, which had um, international artists that ranged from presenting um, kind of a recital slash talk back panel discussion series. So the artists were able to kind of tell their personal stories through opera and art song and musical theater, um, along with a pianist and a director. So there was like a three part team for each show. And the first one was about um, vision loss being a blind singer The second was about gender identity. So that was a workshop performance of my show, The Queen and Me. And the third one was about the African diaspora and the differences between the US and Canadian border. So with that weekend of concerts, we were just blown away by the reaction, especially from like not only from just the general public, but also from people who are in opera, like in the who are artists, like directors, singers, pianists, um, and how much they they didn't realize that they needed a place to also talk, and to engage with the art form beyond just the show. That it could how it affected their lives, you know, their everyday lives as well, and that the concert series was was a was an example of of these artists to be able to reflect that and weave those stories um, with their art form into their daily lived experiences as well. And then that was really. Um, really desired by so many. So with that, we brought on two new co-founders, Asata Tenekun, uh, a tenor who was born and raised in Sri, Sri Lanka and Marion Newman, um, who is of indigenous and Irish, Scottish, um, British descent and uh, metal soprano. And now we're working as, as this foursome, all kind of as leaders on the same level at the same table And because COVID-19, we've been lucky enough to go really slowly and deeply into our values, into like what we really want to do for the opera community um, and how we want to engage with with the public at large as well.
0: And then how did the, the project Holding Space come about?
1: Yeah, definitely. So this was in in reaction to a lot of the conversations that were happening after George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, um, and also the atrocity with Regis in, in Toronto as well, and the Black Lives Matter movement, and also that systemic racism and systemic oppression really needed to be addressed, not only in society at large, but in opera. And that we saw different companies Trying to give platform or give space to tell their own stories, or to kind of hold like webinars, but we wanted just to, to create a space where um, IBPOC folks could just talk, because we had been fortunate as as a group of four people of um, Indigenous and POC um, identities, able to like meet regularly and talk about all of the. The different experiences, the hard experiences we had had and especially of like what was going on um, as of late and and to like building confidence to advocate for ourselves but we didn't know if like other um, IBPOC artists had been having those conversations with their colleagues because really opera is quite lonely. It's very competitive and the whole art form is set up to be so siloed and kind of secretive like you do that, I do this, okay, we meet, now this singer is hired, you know, that kind of thing. And I, you know, I've been singing professionally now for 13 years. And I remember, like, if you do show any weakness, especially to your colleagues, they will use that against you eventually, you know, there's this kind of dog eat dog attitude out there. But that is something that I had been working against in the last few years to, to find like minded colleagues who really want to support each other so already having had this 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 base or this connection of support with amplified opera um, as artists for each other we wanted to also provide that for others too so we held these three private conversations for ibpoc artists um, working in canada so you didn't need to be canadian um, but we had people come like tune in from Berlin who are Canadian and singing there or people from like Texas or people from different parts of the States, people from Vancouver, Victoria, like across, you know, the whole, the whole country. So we had them at different times for that time zone purpose um, or in case, you know, there needed to be like taking care of children, that kind of thing. And we just wanted to reflect on or see if, see what, what common threads were coming up. You know, what were people talking about? Um, more than, than other different issues. And while it was also a place of kind of like being able to gre- um, air a grievance, you know, or express their, their, their own lived experience, there was also this genuine desire to kind of figure out how to take action, how to change the industry from multiple angles, um, and how to reclaim an agency that they always had as artists. Um, and to better advocate for themselves. So we, we didn't take any um, names or any kind of identifying features down. We just wanted to find common threads. And so we, um, we also gave out a survey as well, after the fact to all the artists that, that stopped by. And we had almost about 50 artists and some returning, returning people as well that came. And um, we hope to see like what other initiatives Uh, we're really, we're really excited to see what other initiatives will come about from just having these conversations and that there is a desire to continue these conversations just to kind of have like a place where artists can support other artists and they don't have to feel like they're the only person of color in the room, you know, that like everyone on the zoom feed was a different melanated shade. And that that was really, um, a rare thing—you don't see that often,
0: yeah—in
1: the opera world.
0: Just on a side note, IVPOC stands for Indigenous Black Person of Color. Yes,
1: <laughs> there's also BIPOC, which people sometimes say the acronym that way—Black Indigenous Person of Color—and I know in the UK they say like B
0: E B A M B A M E i think yeah means black like ethnically
1: diverse yeah. or ethnic minority or
0: something
1: yeah. like that yeah. yeah So many many different acronyms <laughs> yeah.
0: but it's um it's important to have this language out there because language is also the way that we that we see things the way that we view things it, it forms our thoughts and language is so important in ways that I don't think people realise enough. When you have certain vocabulary out there and it's used more frequently, it means that people are more aware of certain things and and it means that people have that sort of awareness to, I guess, be aware of their blind spots. And actually, blind spots, that's something that I've been thinking a lot about recently. Um, I've been thinking about a lot recently because, I mean, me included, when you have a blind spot, because it's a blind spot, you don't see it. And, And a lot of times... You end up not being aware of many things, and sometimes maybe it's just a defensive or or responsive reaction to be to defend or or to justify or to not to not admit or agree to something because you don't see it because there's that blind spot there. And something I've been reflecting on is also how how can we better understand or see these blind spots and mm-hmm. it's um it's so easy to just say like you know active listening but what what does it mean to really actively listen mm-hmm. and for me it's you know it's just keeping quiet let the person speak ask questions curiosity but then actually it's quite difficult to do and when i had to practice it with someone i i was like oh i didn't realize how much work has to, has to go into it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think,
1: I think it's human nature though, to make assumptions, right. And to build kind of like a picture around something that, that gives clarity or understanding, right. The faster we can get to understanding or clarity, I think is just what we naturally do. Like I'm not a psychologist or a neurologist so like, bear with me. This is just kind of from my own personal experience or how I, how I view the world. But, and, and that's why we have, you know, certain um, words or language that are identifiers, right? Like LGBT, right? Lesbian, gay, bisexual, and and all of these things are queer or trans or black or Japanese or Chinese or indigenous, you know, that help us, that give us clarity. But what is the, I think, the the dangerous thing is that we assume and we start to categorize, oh... That black person—they're all then—they're like all the other black people that I know or I've come encountered with, or that Japanese queer person is all like all the other Japanese queer people that I've come encountered with, or all Asian. You know, you can make more generalizations,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: it's very easy to do that. So, I think one thing is—is—is is, is great to kind of always have at the toolkit is to. To, yes, hold these generalizations for a broader understanding, but also to give much more space and validity to, like, everyone is unique and has different experiences. And that, like you said, asking questions, a curious mind, goes par and par with not making assumptions of people. And then further to that point, like when you were talking about blind spots or something, or, or this defensive kind of thing, um, that I learned a lot from Tycho, And it's probably like more broadly like a Buddhist kind of um, philosophy or mindset is to have this like student mind that we're always learning. And to come to to something like even like say an expert taiko player who's been doing it for 30 years, always come to the drum with a student mind, with an open mind of learning. That it's like today I'm probably going to learn something new, you know, and not to just make the presumption that it's like, oh, I know what I'm doing or something like that. And I think that's a beautiful thing to to hold in in an artistic practice, but in life in general. And even with like our relationships, like with friends and colleagues and not to just be like, oh, well, that person's always like that. So I don't need to worry about that or just assume. But we're always evolving. We're always changing as humans. So like to keep bringing that, oh, this person can change as well. And I can change as well. And I can learn something new and they can learn something new and be different or have a different opinion that, then maybe we won't be so quick to react in a, in a defensive way, right? Thinking, oh, my reality that I built, it was like this and this and this is now changing and crumbling or something, you know? Which I think stems from
0: fear, yeah. And I feel like a lot of times, um, this, even if you, so this div- 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 divisiveness, A lot of times when when you start to explain certain situations, it's not a personal attack on someone, but it can very easily be taken in as such. Mm -hmm. And then then it makes it even more difficult because there is a defensiveness that is in response to this perceived attack. Mm -hmm. But then actually it's... I guess this is why this racial conversation is so difficult, right? Because... (coughs) there's so many elements to it and there's so many complexities in in it and 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 there's and it's it's psychology as well
1: yeah human nature all all of these different things and the nuances of like speaking i, I get this quote from uh, Rania El Mujamar who's an amazing writer and anti-oppression anti-racist consultant in Toronto she she does this series about like talking to racist Uncle Joe or Uncle Bob or something. It's kind of a series that she does or like about addressing AO and AR 101, those kinds of tools in that language. So like that relationship dynamic is, is definitely in play in terms of having a conversation or for someone to be receptive to what you're wanting to, to convey to them, right? So that is also a hard place because you can't make someone change right you can't make someone see what you see or understand what you understand it we can only do that for ourselves and we can just hope that the people that we care about and everyone will be able to see these injustices and
0: not keep perpetuating that yeah for a, a long time so my my one year or so that I that I was in France every single time someone asked me oh so how do you like France I always end up talking about discrimination and sexism harassment and all of these things because I don't know I was like for a period of time I was so angry and it was I I couldn't even explain you know like you you try and calm yourself down and then you go out on the streets and then the next day it's like you get harassed again on the streets and it's just like how can I live like this every day and then I'm just always talking about it and then and then at some point someone told me like yeah if you're so if it makes you so angry to talk about it all the time why do you keep bringing it up why don't you just you know not talk about it but how can I not you know when when someone is not aware when someone doesn't know about it and and you know that these sort of oppression continues because because of a lack of awareness or or indifference, and me being in a situation where I can explain this this issue i I feel like it, in part I also feel that it is my responsibility and also sort of like being in Europe, knowing that this sort of passivity in in Asian culture a lot of times when people are harassed. We, we wouldn't speak up you know because you harmony is best or whatever you know you're you're supposed to just stay away from the trouble
1: mm-hmm.
0: and and I know that me being in a position where I I got to a point where I wasn't afraid to talk about it I had to speak up even more so that I could get a conversation out there even though at, at times it was super exhausting I just I just felt completely depleted of my energy but I still felt like I had to keep on going on but you know, it's this thing like, in response to what people would say, you know, why why try when this this drains you of your energy? Why don't you just shut up about it? what would you what would you say about that? Oh my gosh. <laughs>
1: um, that would totally anger me so much more, you know, and that anger, I think, I would hope that it would fuel me even more to to spread, you know the truth and and to to share. To share the experience like it it's just it's not right you know there are so many injustices and um I don't know but I also feel like speaking to to people who don't want to hear the story it's like at a certain point it's like okay you know maybe this isn't the right time to keep hammering something um and that letting go, like letting letting someone go, or um that they need to go on their own journey to like understand their relationship with systemic racism and systemic oppression. Um and that there's a certain point where you also need to like you feel or me like we need to take care of ourselves too, right? Mm -hmm. Because like you like you talked about energy fatigue. Like that is real. Mm -hmm. You know, or even people talking about Like the women's march protesting, like protest fatigue is real. All of this, this kind of, um, this advocating is is exhausting, mentally, emotionally, physically. And I feel like the more we can get people on board, it's like they can also bear some of the burden of holding that energy too. Mm -hmm. Um, Spreading spreading the message of that we that equity. There needs to be equity for all, um, and also that I feel like I will never stop talking about systemic racism and systemic oppression and anti-oppression and anti-racism because, it, like, it needs to be a part of my everyday life, and it is a part of my everyday life, and it's it's infused into my art, it's infused into into the clothes that I wear, you know, like like how you talked about that there is so much power there. And there's so much um, power in that message of how we see people walking in the world. You know um, it's, it's infused in in, in everything that I engage with now, like online, you know, like even just saying, these are my pronouns Mm -hmm. and to not be apologetic for it, you know, and to have it in my email signature or to say it to someone or to remind someone or to say, Hey, actually, you know, that's kind of racist and to point it out, you know, to not let little things slide because even a simple interaction could set that person on a certain journey or start their journey sooner. Mm. And also for me, like when, when people check me or call me, call me in or call me out, I'm like, Oh yeah. Like, of course there's so many things that I'm not aware of too. And that I'm learning of all the time. So yeah, I just feel like it's a whole new kind of awareness that, I will never stop kind of actively engaging in now. Yeah, so, but yeah, self-care, that's also a big component, right? Because you don't wanna be so fatigued or like to the point where it's like, you're physically sick,
0: yeah. So there is, so recently I've been sort of like in this dilemma, well, because my my visa in um, Canada is gonna run out soon, And then I booked a ticket to return to Singapore, the flight got cancelled, so well, COVID, right, what's new? But anyway, if (laughs) if all goes well and I go back to Singapore, it's really scary for me because I've been away for six years. And I've been in a sort of environment and setting where, you know, it's in the arts, people are super open, we talk about all sorts of stuff. And... I think also for six years I sort of lived without the pressure of you know Singapore society where it's super pragmatic. You get a job, you build your career, you get married or whatever before thirty. And compared to my counterparts, my my friends who have been working in companies or whatever for like two two three years now, I've basically just gone on this journey, traveling, researching, and learning all sorts of stuff and volunteering. And and then, so this this journey, this travel journey that I that I've embarked it from the very beginning it was about finding out a way where you know arts socially engaged politically engaged arts can have a place can can have value in which they would be people working in it will be paid enough for for them to be able to live because there is value in the work that that they're doing and i'm not just talking about value in a in a sort of like transactional sort of sense but just you know it's not just entertainment it's as a whole for society, there is value in, in these sorts of conversations. But then it's also these sort of socially engaged arts where people are not as willing to pay for it. So I've been writing articles about how we need to rethink the way that we see value because in capitalistic terms, value would be how much you're willing to pay for a service or product. But then you're we're willing to pay for, like I don't know, $6 Starbucks coffee, but we're not willing to pay for $6 um, performance about, you know, someone's black of a black person's experience or or an experience that bonds you with community and something in there is fundamentally flawed and the nature of like i guess films or st- stuff that is digital is that you you can always get it online for free somehow and then well there is in there that i've also researched and it's um there's this thing called shared economy knowledge economy where you know if if more things are shared and, and freely available then also it brings about more innovation, which I'm not against and actually if i'm i'm, I'm well I'm a filmmaker and it would be nice to cover the cost of my film, but then I would like people to be able to watch it um even if even if they cannot afford it because they're i think as artists we don't make art because we want to earn money you know we make art because we can't not do it and and something that I've been thinking about it's also the value of arts, the importance and the value of the arts like how I don't know, how can we better convey that? How can we better express that? Because, I mean, you know, like the COVID survey that they were like, you know, what's the most non-essential work? And then art was like at, at the top or something. And what, how, but I don't think people realize, you know, you're watching Netflix, you're you're listening to music, all of these, it's, it's the arts, like it's all around. And if you go to a city... You don't you don't go to London or or Toronto or New York for for the banks, you know. You go there for the arts. You go there for the creative industry. Yeah. You go there for Broadway. You go there for like all these things that arts have, have to offer. And how can we rethink this, reshape this? I guess I'm also in a stage where I I can feel this imminent pressure that, you know, I should get like a proper job, but then I'm still In many ways fighting against this system and Mm -hmm. I'm still trying to find a way because I really believe that if we want to be able to transition into a more progressive future that is also more accountable in terms of our our climate change efforts then we need a fundamental change in the way that we we live and the way that we work and 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 the things that we pay for and we cannot do so if we if we are not creating enough jobs that's working on change but if we want to be able to create jobs that changes things we need to be able to pay for it but mm-hmm. it's it's so precarious to to have to be dependent on funding be mm-hmm. it private or public or or even on donations because this means that there is no financial independence and without that sort of sustainability, how are you supposed to plan out like a ten years or you know long term plan on on how to how to create impact? And that's just that's really difficult. And and I think I guess this is something that that we, we struggle with all the time, especially in the arts. Well maybe not so much because well arts back in the back in the days, long time ago, it was very much a posh thing, you know, people pay artists, craftsmen to 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 paint or to make stuff that's, you know, for decorations and and whatnot. But in, in the art that we have, that have since evolved, the art that is socially engaged, the arts that, that starts these conversations, I mean, these are not easy conversations, but these are important conversations for progress in society, especially in a climate where governments are increasingly not willing to listen or unable to listen to people how can we create spaces that's that's not that's not about dividing people but about you know creating a safe and open space and a mature and understanding space where we can actually openly discuss these issues and it's not based on attacking but just based on explaining and understanding and trying to bring about different perspectives onto the table and really talk about it and think about how we can move on together because this is society right it's but how we can move on together instead of like, oh, you shouldn't do this, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's about a common understanding.
1: Totally, totally. Um, yeah, there's so many great things there. Um, where can I start? I think COVID-19, the global pandemic, has really illuminated the possibility of what it could feel like especially in canada like from from the from the canadian emergency response benefit the serb right that was geared for people who couldn't access like employment insurance which you don't get when you're a self-employed artist right so for all these like gig workers of the gig economy people um a lot of people were saying how it was like wow i haven't had this much stable income in such a long time because everyone has been so worried about living from contract to contract or paycheck to paycheck or, you know, doing like the serving job and then like running away for a few weeks and doing the theater gig or the film shoot or the the band tour and then coming back. Okay, got to do the serving job again or working in a bar or cafe. And that's no way to live, right? That's no way to live to feel calm and at peace and to be creative. I've got a little kitty cat friend here who needs some scratches sorry Mm -hmm. um and that having that just two thousand dollars that's not even enough to live on in Toronto for most places like market rent is way beyond that but even just having that little bit amount in people's pockets I think really made people realize wow I can feel calm that my rent will be paid for that I have enough groceries and that I can be creative and also piece together a few, you know, other kind of auxiliary side gigs, like teaching, for example, like maybe doing some web design on the side and then going back to the artistic, you know, main medium. Um, and that there is so much more potential there for artists. Um, another thing that I think about too, is that um, I was really inspired by this panel discussion with a number of Indigenous artists um, that Stratford Festival hosted back in June. I think it's probably still like on their YouTube, the the archive. And they they were talking for about two and a half hours or so. And one of the fellows on there was talking about how that in a Western colonial Eurocentric sense, we have really divided the artist from community we've taken the artist out of community and made them do their art siloed and alone and kind of put them up on this pedestal um you know and then that has really produced amazing works of course you know like michelangelo and leonardo da vinci and all that kind of stuff um but that from an indigenous perspective the artist never leaves community and that that intertwining that 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 symbiosis of all people and of artists is like this flowing back and forth of energy of creation of support from community of value from community in the arts in the artist and that really like every human has the has an artist within themselves that we all have this this yearning or this this potential to create something whether it's like creating a really great meal for your family one night to creating a masterpiece like some artistic masterpiece you know like visual art or something or a music or a musical or whatever but in our society i feel like in our western society we've really divided like the arts and the artists are over there the scientists and engineers are over here the politicians are over here the bankers the economists are over here and that kind of thing and i don't know just thinking about this idea of like artist back in community and artist is in every human and that that reciprocity that could actually be really beneficial if we employed that in a very like Western colonial institutional sense. Like that would be really fascinating to see, kind of as a pilot project. Um, and I think sometimes we see that on smaller scales, you know, different things like Artscape, for example. Um, they provide uh, subsidized housing for artists and try to, in my building, for example, I'm in an Artscape building, um, try to really foster a genuine community because we all are artists and to support each other and to figure out how, how we can best do that. Um, and also with the COVID-19 pandemic, I think it really showed that, like, we benefit so much from live interaction, from human to human interaction, and we can't get the same feeling in um, like through an online video or, or through a replication of something like that. And yes, I love Netflix, I love, movies and film and all that kind of stuff, but it has a certain place. But hearing a symphony, hearing a rock band, hearing an opera singer 10 feet away from you, and seeing the sweat on their body, seeing the mascara run, seeing how much energy is in like their body and their movements. And that hitting you viscerally, there's you can't beat that. You know, and being able to like sing off my balcony a few times, you know, in the early days of COVID and to be able to see people across the street who I've never met before, who are these, like, a lot of them are white, for sure. A lot of them like have high paying jobs because they're in this fancy condo building, but actually connect and wave and smile. And it made me smile again. And it gave me energy to want to sing more and to connect with strangers, you know, when we were all really, scared in the early days. We didn't know what was going to happen or what was going on or how long this lockdown kind of state was going to last. So, yeah, I think we just need to remind ourselves that you can't beat a live interaction and you can't beat feeling supported by community.
0: You know, what I really love talking to artists, with my artist friends, being in this circle, is that you are so alive you know everyone like when whenever we talk about art you just you talk about emotions you talk about like you know all of the details and and what makes you alive what makes you fully present in that moment and i feel like this this is this is about being present this is about being genuine this is about actually fully living life in in whichever moment it is and and in art making you always get to that point and and you can't not be honest with yourself or genuine with yourself when you're making art because it it shows everyone can can see it through your works and and I feel like there is there is this value in there that is that is huge you know and talking to people who are in other other professions or disciplines sometimes you talk to them and, and you talk about human connection and they're like what's human connection? What do you mean human connection? Like I have badminton, um, I, I play badminton with friends, like that's connection, right? And then I'm like, what do you talk about? And they're like, um, so like the weather, you know, like films that, yeah, stuff like that. And I'm like, don't you, you know, talk about other stuff that goes, you know, deeper, like that really makes you feel alive and makes you feel connected to someone, makes you feel passionate. They're like, that's not, com- that's not normal conversation. Mm -hmm. and then I'm like oh am I am I just in my bubble am I just in my tiny little circle but this is so normal for me and this is so normal for all of my friends you go and you really you connect like this is what Mm -hmm. it means to connect with each other and I wonder if there is something in there that can be shared with everyone else because you know why is it that things like this empathy compassion um being able to relate with someone, active listening, um, being able to be fully present, to be creative. Why is it that all of these things that are so essential are so undervalued in society? Hmm.
1: I think because you can't commodify it. Yeah. Like, you know, we live in such a capitalist society that you can't replicate this feeling, you know, with a robot or with a video or with something that you can make money from real human to human connection, whether it's about a really amazing topic or conversation or through art or through food or through these really kind of like basic things, basic everyday things, you know, before the internet, before cell phones, like, you know, running in the forest or building a fort with your friends or like in you're in the lake or you're in the ocean or you're with, dogs and cats and children like those those real life honest connections like i think that's what the human experience is all about and maybe that's where that's why we can't yeah we can't make money off of it (laughs) and but i feel like because i've experienced those moments you know a variety of them from childhood to now like I want more. It's like you get that endorphin rush or dopamine or whatever the, the happy hormone serotonin, all the happy hormones, right? Like it's like sex. It's like having an orgasm. Like you can't replicate it with a pill or with some kind of like technological device, you know, and that it has deeper long lasting meaning that I think like enters into our subconscious as opposed to like the dopamine rush you maybe you get from like scrolling and seeing, Oh, people like my video or like my photo.
0: Mm.
1: You know, there's been studies about that and then you crash because you don't, you still don't get that same dopamine hit or whatever it is. But, and I think, yeah, like people, people are realizing that like, because we can't hug right now. We can't touch our Mm. friends or our family members and that we want to, we yearn for that. We yearn for, physical tactile touch and real life moments of
0: connection do you think this is why capitalism wouldn't work for artists because if if you're used to if you've had these sort of experiences how can you possibly sit in a 9 to 5 job that you don't you don't feel that connection you don't feel that totally. meaning
1: i wouldn't last a week <laughs> yeah I'm just I I think so I think so and like this this um I'm gonna do another like uh push push for it okay so this is another push for UBI (laughs) here (laughs) is that like you know if artists and if okay so I'm gonna definitely speak from my personal experience but like if I didn't have to think about my income you know or making money if I just like had X number of dollars that I know was like, yeah, my rent's paid for, my food's paid for, everything, like all the gadgets and things that I need to like make my art and my travel's paid for. I could just focus all of my energy and time on making art. Yeah. <laughs> you know, making amplified opera, an amazing opera company, like working on all of my cool like musical projects and then going and singing opera. Like we didn't have to think about money and think about those basic needs, those Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like there would just be so much more time and energy focused on making art. And I don't know, like, that would be a really cool world to live in. Yeah. Just to see artists making art and not having to worry or care about anything else.
0: Or like just, you know, being preoccupied, competing with one another. (laughs) But what if it wasn't a competition? Yeah. What if we didn't have like awards and all this like
1: idea of like, who's a genius or not, you know, but it was about, having real conversation with community through art. Mm. That would be really exciting.
0: I feel like, you know, as an artist, your reality is um, either you go <laughs> funding to funding, writing all sorts of proposals and application, actually, in fact, waste a lot of time just writing these applications and, and detract you from your artwork, or you just end up, you know, doing really good branding for yourself as a brand he did really well with institutions, with organizations, um, with the art market, and then sell works that's like not even art, you know, it's just commodities. And I think people mm-hmm. probably know that as well. And it's just it's just sad that we are living in a world in a system that that works like this. And I don't know, I see I see so much I see so many people who are making meaningful work, who are just struggling to make ends meet but then they're contributing so much to their community and then and then constantly the questioning is and and the sort of interrogation of of an outsider would be but then does the community really need it um but then you know you can assess that from your local library but then you know you you have like um you have like clubs and society sports that you can do with other people like what what makes your what makes your art that is socially engaged unique you know people have these conversations anyway but then Mm. it's different like how how do you communicate that you know when you go through like a a community theater project for example you really connect with people you spend that time in that process understanding each other learning about each other's personal life experiences being open being safe enough to be vulnerable all of that requires mediation and facilitation
1: Mm -hmm. and
0: and then having like this sort of bond where it's almost like family and and you know that you will be supported even when you're on stage you're improvising you you know that you've got other people who have your back and the sort of confidence that it brings people who are not accustomed to being on stage like being clapped at by an audience i saw firsthand how empowering that was and how like the seniors i was working with the confidence that they got from it And the sort of pride that that came at the end of it, it was like, you know, actually being seen for the first time in a long while by society. Mm -hmm. And there is something in there that is so touching and so beautiful. It's not just about any any other sports club, you know? Mm -hmm. I think
1: it gives the opportunity for people to feel like not only that they're seen, right like that is so important, but also that that they belong, that their life and their efforts, their energy matters, that it's valued, and that we all deserve value, you know we all deserve to feel like we belong, and I think that's what divides us because in order for me to belong, you can't belong. That kind of thing, that kind of attitude. So I think it's what unites us, but it also, it's, it's what divides us like as almost 8 billion people on this planet. Um, and I just, I think the only thing I can really say is just, I wanna spend my energy in uniting us, in, in connecting us into into creating experiences for people where they feel seen, where they feel validated just as much as I'm learning to also find my validation, my internal, through my internal truth, you know, by expressing fully who I am, that, that I matter, you know, and if I can cultivate that for myself, I want to be able to cultivate that for others too. Mm. And that I just choose to do it through opera you know, and, but other people do it through being a mom or being a dad or being a parent or being a teacher. Teachers are so important, you know, like, and that those moments, like even the community moments that you were talking about, like that moment might change someone's, someone's life, but you won't see the, the results for like 10 or 20 years. You know, the moment that I had Witnessing those opera singers when I was 15 and then seeing my first opera and being encouraged, feeling completely out of place, completely like a fish out of water, but being encouraged to come back and to be, their arms
0: were open say, come, join us. Like that changed my life. I used to really struggle with this, especially when I was doing my dissertation for university because I, I was researching into art and change and impact, which is like a huge topic. And I struggled for a long time, like how can I know that my art has an impact? So I made films, I made theater performances, and then I, I went out on the streets and I was doing participatory art and I was doing community art. And with films, you you have the potential to reach a lot of people, but then not necessarily depth as with theater. And then you have participatory art where you, you know, sit down and really have a conversation with someone and perhaps you can change something, but how many people can you reach in your lifetime? It's not gonna be as many as the film can can be. So it's always like between depth and numbers. And how do you know? How do you even know that like having a conversation will change someone? Or, you know, I, I was always trying to, I don't know, maybe justify or trying to validate or value the work that I'm doing, because there is no way of knowing. There is no way of knowing what I'm contributing, what I'm giving, if, if that helped in anything. And for a long time, I guess I I was really struggling with that. And I think, at the end of it, after many many years of conversations with many people, people just tell me, every bit counts. And you might not see it now, but you don't know, and it and it creates ripple ripples effects. Totally. And and I f I feel like a part of my journey was also that I had to just accept it and take it slowly. Because mm-hmm. if I'm if I'm working and working and I'm giving and I <laughs> give and I'm giving and I feel like I don't see change, I don't see impact, I feel really disheartened and disencouraged and discouraged. But if I take it slowly, give myself enough time and space and, and balance in my giving and my receiving, and I pace it out, like, I, I just have to hope that I'm getting somewhere, that mm-hmm. we are getting somewhere collectively all together. Mm-hmm. And I think it also eventually boils down to support network, what we have, the, the people that we have around us, community that we are building up, and knowing that you are not alone in this, that there are other people who are in this fight with you. Mm -hmm. that's important
1: when you talk about depth and and numbers right it's like very like your qualitative evidence and your quantitative evidence right It, it i feel like being able to demonstrate impact and that evidence like very soon after is a very kind of like corporate capitalistic like uh lens to put on something that is like to put on art art right and the human experience like it's very unfair so yeah like like you said like those trusted people that that told you you just won't know and you have to trust Mm. and that those those even those like tiny moments of experience with someone or conversations or just interactions or just a smile to someone I remember when we first talked, you said, you said there was someone who smiled at you. Right. Yeah. And it really like it, it changed the energy and that that was like, that person could, didn't have to smile, but they chose to. And so it, yeah, like those moments are really powerful and they will have ripple effects like down the road. Right. And by you telling me, or you telling other friends of yours, like, that maybe it'll enter their subconscious and they might smile at someone who's having a rough day, whether it's COVID or not, COVID-19 times or not. Yeah. I don't know. I think there's a lot of power there. And sometimes we have to be reminded, you know, by our, by our support network and at other times it's easy to have like that hope and that faith and just be like, yep, I know I'm making a difference. It may not be on a piece of paper, the number, but it's there. Or it will be there.
0: If um, there is one thing that someone can do to create change, what would that be?
1: That's a great question. Very big one. Um, I think to listen to your gut. You know, if there's something niggling inside of you that says this isn't right, speak up. You know, say, say something. Take, be courageous and say something. Because it is scary to speak up and to use our voice. Um, and I'm learning to to use my voice, like this part of my voice, more and more. Because it is scary to say that's not right or that's wrong or, hey, how about, how about this instead? You know, to. To start those ripple effects, and I think we all have the have the power like have the capacity to do it, and it can be very powerful if we just choose to listen to our gut and speak up and say something and not be passive or not be that bystander who just fades in the background.
0: Thank you for being so open and honest and and for taking time for this episode. I think uh, I think people who are listening will probably. I hope they'll benefit from from hearing it. And actually, me doing these episodes um, have been really beneficial for myself, surprisingly, because that's awesome. I think also I I, I get this low points where I I hit sort of like the bottom and I'm like, okay, what am I doing with my life? And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then I I get on this episode and I talk to people that I've connected with before and I'm like, okay, it's okay. You know, we're all in this together. Everyone's working towards something and we've just got to keep trying and, and mm. act, you know, and work on something. And it's, it's going to be all right. And you just have to believe in that.
1: Mm-hmm. Likewise, Via, thank you so much. Like you've reinvigorated my, my energy today. And, you know, for, for all of the, um, the efforts and energy I'm putting towards different projects and different towards different, um, yeah kind of like personal artistic mandates and political mandates so thank you so much for your time too
0: same here you know i feel like this is why it's um it's so beautiful and it's so precious to speak with people who are passionate it's like this excitement it just it just reignites this fire in you and we need to keep keep this fire burning and a lot of times in the sort of system that we live in it's really easy for it to burn out because you you feel burnout and having that just you know constantly talking to people getting that lit up again and again and again we we need that to keep us going
1: totally stoke that fire throw on some fresh logs yeah.
0: <laughs> thank you cool. hey everyone thank you for listening special thanks to andrea for the music if you like what you heard be sure to subscribe we're on spotify apple Podcasts, and google play catch you next episode